I needed to make a video in response to a short clip I heard from a man named Jason Petty, whose more popular name is his performance name. He is a poet and rapper, and uh, he goes by the name Propaganda, which has become a little ironic. He is one of the many unfortunate casualties that we have lost to the the social justice, woke, whatever title people give to it. I think we all know it when we hear it and see it, and uh, we've lost him to that. And he was uh, part of the kind of evangelical world for a long time, part of the reformed world for the long time, and I really, really loved his stuff. I, lo I loved his poetry, I loved his songs, I loved hearing interviews from him. I felt like we were on the same page on a lot of things. And so it breaks my heart to see the trajectory he's on, where he's gone, along with so many other people who have kind of gone down and uh, hopped aboard the, the woke train. The things that propaganda says in this clip are just outrageous. And I wanna come out right from the get-go and tell you what I think is wrong with it and then seek to prove it as we go along. So let me just tell you my analysis and then I'll try to show you. And my analysis is that propaganda is not only a Christian apostate, but he is actually, in this clip, advocating for pure subjectivism. The words you are about to hear are the words of a person, whether he realizes it or not, who advocates for pure subjectivism. Now, there is another way to interpret the data, which I'll bring up at the end, but that's what I think is going on here, that this worldview leads you into this kind of pure subjectivism this your truth versus my truth and all truths are equal. And another thing I think we're going to expose along the way is the Mott and Bailey uh, fallacy. And I think this is very common in social justice conversations. I not, a, well actually it was depending, not long ago I had a very short Twitter debate with Anthony Bradley over Lecrae. And I also believe Lecrae, like propaganda, has gone down this road. And uh, I made the claim that Lecrae has changed, that we've seen an evolution in Lecrae. And Dr. Bradley came after me saying, I'm the one who's changed, not Lecrae. Lecrae just started speaking up about social justice. And he accused me of being a white nationalist who just gets triggered when uh, we talk about black people being treated equally. And so I was, you know, called a racist and told that I'm the one who's changed, not Lecrae. And I think I provided decent evidence that that's not true. Uh, but, but that is the kind of the Mott and Bailey where what's being advocated is when we push back on it, it's described as just, listen, we're just interested in justice. I, I, right? We're, we're just interested in what the Bible says we should be interested in, which is justice. And, and, uh, you know, treating the poor and the oppressed with, with justice and fairness and love. And that's kind of the, the slogan, that's kind of the sales pitch, right? That uh, there's this white nationalist movement that hates the oppressed, that hates minorities, and wants to treat people, they have privilege and they want to treat people uh, in a way that benefits only them. And we are just trying to follow the Bible and seek justice and seek fairness. But what we're going to see in this clip is that propaganda, at least on propaganda's level, that is not at all what is being advocated here. Biblical justice is not at all what's being advocated here, but pure, unadulterated subjectivism and liberalism is what's being advocated here. Now, I don't know if propaganda does this, but many of the social justice, social justicians, whatever the term would be, they, they claim to be coming from a Bible-believing, theologically conservative, sometimes even a politically conservative place and saying, we're just, we're not liberals. We're, we just believe in justice. But what they're actually advocating for is pure liberalism. It's pure political, social, uh, theological liberalism. And then they retreat to, I just care about justice. And so what I think we're going to see in this clip is the promotion of subjectivism, the promotion of unbiblical thinking, the promotion of very liberal thinking and along the way also just seeing a bunch of claims that are just not true. It's getting filled with lies and slander and ahistorical claims. So it's a mess, but I think that this is the inevitable place that someone ends up 
once they get aboard, once they are aboard the woke train. That's kind of a, an analysis. Now let's actually listen to some of what's said in this podcast. Let us examine it. When we think about evangelical, white evangelical specifically, and I'm going to say like Protestant, Reformed, like the wing that sprouted out of 1500, you know, Dutch Reformed, Calvinist, something like anything that came out of the Reformation, um, and then on, you know. And you can include some of the non-denominal evangelical because it still came out of yeah. the Reformation. You, know you, what I'm you wouldn't include like or Protestant, even yeah. just like um, how colonizing like those were. Those were, they all come out of that. Oh, okay. They all come out of that tradition. You can still take it back still to like Germany back. and yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So he's established specifically the group of people he's going to criticize, and it's my people, right? I'm a Reformed theologian. I belong to a Reformed church. This is my tradition. But before we even get into the criticism, I don't understand her question. She interrupted and saying, okay, so he, you're talking about basically just, although, well, let me take a step back. He's not just talking about reform people. So he's talking about basically all Protestants. Basically every Christian that's lived in America since it's been founded is, is who he's addressing. Um, with, you know, obviously, you know, the Irish immigrants and, you know, Catholicism and I'm not saying only Protestants have lived in America, but generally, generally speaking, that's who he's addressing here. He's, but he's, he's, he's spe specified the Reformation, the Reformers, and then obviously there's some non-Calvinist breaks that have happened since then who he's kind of lumping in. But he's sort of put his crosshairs on the Reformation and on Reformers. And then she asked this bizarre question, does that include the colonizing? And it's, here's how he seemed to interpret it. He seemed to interpret it as her saying, what about the, the colonizers who came to America and colonized America? And his point is, yeah, they're, they're all Protestants, right? They're all children of the Reformation. So she thought he was talking about just this narrow Reformation, like the magisterial reformers and the Lutherans. And he's saying, no, 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 I'm, I'm talking about everybody. But here's why this is already a problem, because even if we jump into their worldview for a moment, um, who are the colonizers? Colonizing has been going on for a lot longer than the Reformation. So why are, why is Roman Catholicism not included in this critique? Uh, is Roman Catholicism guilty of colonizing? <laughs> yeah, you betcha. So notice how he's, he's obviously uh, got a bone to pick because he's going to refuse to, cri to criticize Roman Catholicism when medieval Roman Catholicism was largely white and very colonistic. <laughs> I don't even know if that's the right word to you. But for some reason, he's going to leave them out, even though they fit the bill entirely. I find that kind of interesting, kind of an inconsistency. But I'll get more into that. Now we know who he's talking about. He is going after people like me. He's going after evangelicals, Christian evangelicals, anybody who can in any way, shape, or form be somewhat loosely traced to the Protestant Reformation of the 16th century. It's the culture, the religion he's critiquing. So you can still take it back to that. They aren't all Calvinists. They're not all like, right. you know what I'm saying? But you can still go back to that moment. Because mm. um, any of the American churches, except for like the traditional high liturgy ones that are, you know, uh, the Lutheran, although Lutheran too in some ways, but all that to say, you're still products. And I think this is important to understand. You're still products of the enlightenment. We're still products of the Renaissance and enlightenment thought and rationalism as much as we as much as the american church likes to say that we're not shaped by the culture you know what i mean we're at war with the culture still a product of it because it's impossible to not sh sit in the shadow of history it's impossible i largely agree with that everybody has traditions now i do think scripture is capable because it's god breathed of breaking through our traditions uh but and, and i think that's a little bit of a category error when what we mean when we talk about not being shaped by the culture but uh, nonetheless, this is also, this, this takes me back to the last criticism I just had. All of the things he's seeing in American evangelicalism, all of the things he's seeing in the Protestant world that he doesn't like, he wants to blame it on the fact that we're all sons and daughters of the Enlightenment. And it's kind of like a gotcha. Like, you think you're being biblical, but you're really just an Enlightenment thinker. Uh, and now that takes me back to the crucial issue. Because medieval Roman Catholicism uh, are not sons and daughters of the Enlightenment. Yet, they're going to be guilty of almost everything he talks about from here on out. Roman Catholicism, many of it was largely white European, right? Roman Catholicism was very guilty of colonization and crusades. 
But what's the problem? You can't blame that. You can't blame the Enlightenment on that. So he's trying to pin us as being shaped by the Enlightenment, but pre-Enlightenment institutions, pre-Enlightenment religion, is guilty of the things that he's blaming on the Enlightenment. So with that, what I've come to finally realize is after traversing all these different Christian spaces and then sort of coming out of that in the way that we've come out of it, I think you, I think they honestly believe they have done the homework and are the keepers mm-hmm. of the pure truth. Like we protect our doctrine, we protect our theology. Yes, we do think that. And, you know, when you phrase it that way, it sounds very arrogant. And um, But here's the problem. Everybody who's not a subjectivist thinks that. Every, everybody thinks that. The Reformed world, we are like, we are arrogant and we think we're like the gatekeepers of Christianity. Right? The Reformed world, we're these arrogant post-Enlightenment children who think that we have found the purest form of apostolic religion and so now we're going to be the gatekeepers of this pure religion okay fair uh again i ask does roman catholicism do that at all huh yeah the roman catholic church which claims to be the one true church that christ jesus himself established for two thousand years oh The same, the Roman Catholic Church, which actually claims to be infallible. (laughs) They can't be wrong. They have an infallible Pope who has apostolic succession all the way back to Pope Peter. And they have been anathematizing people and excommunicating people for hundreds of years for not being in agreement with the one true church. And a matter of fact, there was even a time when you could not be saved if you were not part of the Roman Catholic Church. Now, obviously, Rome is in a liberal slide, and so Vatican II has redefined that term. Although they wouldn't say it's redefined it, they would just say it's never been defined, and they finally defined it, which I won't get into all the issues of that epistemology. But nonetheless, Vatican II now has clarified, well, you you don't have to be a Roman Catholic to still be saved in and through the Roman Catholic Church. Nonetheless, the Roman Catholic Church has always been a very much of a gatekeeper church. The, the whole notion of apostolic succession is to say we have the truth and we can trace it so anyone who's not part of our church is wrong and we have an infallible pope who can infallibly declare them to be wrong. Now, the point of this video is not to pivot and make it about Roman Catholicism. I'm not here to criticize it, them in this particular video. But what I am here to criticize is he is trying to blame post-enlightenment evangelicals for something that has been happening for 2,000 years. And guess what you can't even do? You can't even blame Western thought. You can't even expand it from the enlightenment. You can't even blame Western thought because guess what? There's a religious organization by the name of Eastern Orthodoxy. Yeah, and let's ask the question, does Eastern Orthodoxy think that they've got it figured out? Do you think, do they think that they have the one pure, unadulterated, unfiltered apostolic religion? Yes, that's their primary claim, just like Rome. They claim to have apostolic succession. They claim to have the pure truth preserved in the church. The Holy Spirit guides the church. And they have not gone on that liberal slide like Rome. They are very, very adamant. You cannot be saved. You can't even be saved if you're not part of Eastern Orthodox Church. Can you blame the Eastern Orthodox Church of being white nationalists? Of being post-enlightenment children? No. But they, East, the Eastern Orthodox Church and Roman Catholicism does the same thing that the Reformed world does, only it's on steroids. Because they claim to have a perfect, infallible church, infallibly guided by the, by the Holy Spirit, protected by a, a lineage of apostolic succession. And you can't blame the Western thought on the Eastern Orthodox Church. And you can't blame the Enlightenment for the kind of gatekeeping mentality of the Roman Catholic Church. So why do you turn around and blame the Reformed for just being slaves of the Enlightenment? And, and above all, why are you criticizing only the Reformed for merely doing what the Christian Church has always done? 
This is what the Christian religion has always been. I want to read something to you. This is from a Christian apologist by the name of Justin Martyr, who lived from 100 to 165. So does that sound pre-enlightenment to you? Yeah, I think so. And notice what he says in chapter 6 on the Eucharist. He says, And this food is called among us the Eucharist, of which no one is allowed to partake, but the man who believes that the things that we teach are true. Justin Martyr is acting like a gatekeeper. He's acting like we have the one true religion. He's acting like we have the pure theology. And he believes this so much so, that if there are other groups, even if they claim to be Christians, that if they disagree with the theology that he teaches and that he thinks the Christian church teaches, they're not welcome at the communion table. They're not welcome to partake of the Eucharist. So propaganda could go back in time and he could espouse all of his liberal theology. He could espouse all of his new beliefs and Justin Martyr would kick him out of the church. Can you blame the Enlightenment for that? Can you blame Trumpism for that? Can you blame Christian nationalism for that? Can you blame racism for that? No. No. I'm sorry. This is just the Christian religion. This is what the Christian religion has always done. It's an exclusive religion. It's an objective religion. So this is not an enlightenment problem. This is not a reformed problem, except for the radical subjectivist liberals. Every tradition believes that we have the truth and we're gonna protect that truth. Now, I hope he's speaking in general terms. I'm not claiming, and I don't, I don't know of any reformed theologian who claims there's no point of doctrine that the reformed world has wrong or ever has had wrong. Reformed people disagree with other reformed people on, on doctrines. I disagree with the reformers on a handful of things. Even in the Roman Catholic Church and even in the Eastern Orthodox Church, where they have infallible dogmatic teachings that you have to believe in, still have a lot of room for debate and discourse on a whole bunch of things. Thomism versus Molinism, etc., etc., etc. So no one's claiming that like we have literally 100% of all Christian doctrine perfectly figured out and can't be wrong on any issue. No one's saying that. But yeah, every single tradition is generally speaking saying, this is the pure apostolic religion. That's why I believe it. If I didn't think the Reformed tradition was that, then I would leave it. Who wants to be part of a religion that's openly saying, you know, there's a pretty good chance that the apostles disagree with us on a lot of things. Well, then get out of that religion, right? So, yes, everyone believes they found the truth. If you live in the world of objectivity, then everybody believes that they found the truth. Here's just one example from Justin Martyr of that. I could multiply this with historical examples and biblical examples till my head hurt. You think the Judaizers in the book of Galatians maybe could have criticized Paul for thinking he's got everything figured out and for not allowing their expression of Christianity in? Was Paul being an enlightenment gatekeeper who thinks he's found the pure truth? Like, if, if, if you're not satisfied with just this quote from Justin Martyr, just study church history. Study the ecumenical councils. You want to know what you learn when you study church history? Here's what you learn. The vast majority of church history is what we call Trinitarian and Christological heresies. And all throughout the history of Christian church, what we have is we've got this apostolic religion and we have these groups popping up with foreign theology saying, hey, uh, we're Christians, but we believe this. And then the church meets in a council and says, I know you're wrong. You're not Christians. Get out of here. Everything he said and everything, almost everything propaganda is going to say, the Arians could have said about the Nicaeans. Arius could have said this about Athanasius, and all of the Arians could have criticized the Council of Nicaea for being stingy, white supremacist, enlightenment thinkers who think that they have the pure truth and they won't accept the Arian Christianity in. Marcion could have said this. You don't think Pelagius wanted to say this about, about Augustine? Oh, Augustine is just this enlightenment thinker, this gatekeeper who thinks he's got the pure doctrine and doesn't recognize that my experiences make me a valid Christian even though it's different than his. Was Augustine a student of the enlightenment? <laughs> and guess what? Where's Augustine from? Hippo, North Africa. 
Can you blame racism? Augustine was an African. Was he racist? Is that why he kicked out Pelagius from the church? What about Athanasius? Why did Athanasius kick the Arians out? Is because he racist? White nationalism, right? He's infected with, with white theology, with whiteness thinking, right? Oh, Athanasius is from where? Uh, Egypt. Is the Egyptian and the African, are they racist? Is that why? Are they Enlightenment thinkers? No. This is what the Christian church has always done. Always. Yeah. The Reformed think they're right, and they think their doctrine is biblical, and they think it's pure, and they're going to push back on people who disagree with it, just like everybody else that doesn't advocate for pure subjectivism. But let's continue. And if you believe that in your scriptures, you're going to believe that about everything else in the world, that you are the, purvey you are the sole purveyors and protectors of truth and understanding. Yeah. So that is an egregious straw man. That is a lie, that is a misrepresentation, that is dishonest, and it is, it's inappropriate. I mean, I could go on and on and on with how silly and ridiculous that statement is. That, that's just a classic case of, a, of the fallacy of a logical leap, illogical leap, what do you call it? I can't remember. But he jumped from one thing to another and there's no connection there. I think Reformed theology is biblical. Therefore, I think I'm the arbiter of all truth? What? The Reformed think that they are the arbiters of all truth, of all understanding? Prove that. Show me one Reformed theologian that has ever made that claim. That we have a bunch of Reformed theologians and a bunch of Protestants walking around the country saying, hey, you know what, because we have the truth of the Bible, that means I also know everything there is to know about brain surgery. I, uh, I am the gatekeeper of all truth because I think my biblical tradition is true. So if you need your car fixed, don't go to a mechanic. Go to a reformed seminary. Yeah, the reformed seminary, they're the only people who know how to fix a car, right? Why are you going to restaurants to eat food? They don't know how to cook, they're not reformed. You need to go to a reformed seminary. They will teach you how to cook food because we are the ones who understand all truth. I tried my hardest to, to guess, like where is this coming from? And what I think he's doing is he's either purposefully or unintentionally misrepresenting the Protestant understanding of the sufficiency of Scripture. Read all of the confessions. Read the Westminster Confession. Read the London Baptist Confession. Read the three forms of unity. Read all of the Reformed creeds and confessions and what they say about Scripture. And they are very clear to say Scripture is not a book that gives us an exhaustive list of all truth. If someone came up to me and wanted to know how to uh, most effectively burn fat, I would not open them up to the book of 2 Corinthians. Now, the Bible does address eating in a general sense, right? Gluttony, uh, food laws, dietary laws. I mean, there's a lot in, about food in the Bible, but effective weight loss strategies, not in the Bible, right? How to build a car, not in the Bible. So we've been very clear that the Bible is not an exhaustive book of all truth. But I think that's what he's accusing us of believing because that's the only way you get from they think they've got the Bible figured out to therefore they've got all of truth figured out. Like maybe, hopefully, hopefully I'm misunderstanding him. But I, I think that's what he said. I think I'm not. And it's outrageous. And I don't know where he's getting it from. It's not what we believe. It's not what we say. It's not how we act, and so I, I'm sorry, I think this is slander. Oh, any challenge of that, right, is seen as unsafe, it's outside the fence. So like, whether we know it or not, that's what we're communicating or what they're communicating from their pulpits, you know what I'm saying? Right, yeah. yeah. And I think some of that can be so especially toxic when it comes from like a really like, from really nice people. You That's know, what makes it like hard. Yeah. they're just like so loving and they're trying so hard to just help us in understanding our faith. And, you know, when you're coming to faith, I'm just thinking about like my example, just coming into uh, just Christianity, you know, being in a space like that where the people themselves were generally like out of their goodness of like their hearts and just really wanting to like come alongside me. like teaching me these beliefs that are like super entrenched with like this white sort of nationalist way of thinking about my Christianity. And 
and I know that for me, it, it, I didn't immediately see it because I thought like, oh, okay, this is just what Christianity is. Yeah. You know, and it just took a while for me to finally be like, wait a minute, like, no, this is like whiteness. You know, like a lot of this is whiteness, and but it was so hard because at an individual level, it, you know, and this is part of what I, you know about managing white people. Yeah. Is managing white people. Uh, one of my favorite refutations of the whole social justice woke movement is its open uh, belief in unequal scales. Uh, the Bible is very clear about equal scales, right? We call it the, the sin of partiality. And the social justice movement advocates partiality, right? Ibram X. Kendi, Dr. Kendi has that famous, say, that famous uh, quote about how the only way to fix discrimination in the past is to, is to be to practice discrimination in the future or in the present that's not a direct quote but he's basically saying discrimination was done and the only way to fight it is with you fight fire with fire you have we have to be discriminate today we have to discriminate today and uh that's an unequal scale um that's two wrongs making a right that's just not biblical and many alleged professing christians have bought into that and here's an example of that right this this is racist to talk about managing white people that's racist at least by her own standards because if I were to do a podcast and talk about, oh, the struggles of managing black people, like, oh man, you know, as a white man, do you know how hard it is to manage black people? How racist is that? How racist is that? But she can get away with it. Why? Because this isn't Christianity. This is uh, some religion that promotes and advocates for clear double standards. Now, uh, everything she said, I, you know, I disagree with. But because she's speaking from a personal perspective, I can't really, I can't really comment on it. Uh, I don't know what she was taught. I highly doubt it was white supremacy. I highly doubt it was whiteness. I don't even know what whiteness is. I don't think the people in her camp can even agree on what that term is. Um, but nonetheless, she's speaking anecdotally. She's speaking about her personal experiences. So I can't really say much. Other than saying it's kind of a condescending compliment, like a back, that backhanded compliment, right? Like, Oh man, you know, they're just they're just so loving and they're coming from a place where they just love me and they're so loving and they just don't know, bless their hearts, that they're a bunch of dirty racists. <laughs> Our guys are the, the, the nicest racists we'll ever meet. <laughs> it can be very, very, it could be like gaslighting. It's yeah. gaslighting when you're telling me like... Oh, no, 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 you're thinking about this wrong. Yeah, thing. no, it's, yeah, oh, that's so, no, that's not really how you like, that, what that means there. You know? Okay, so here comes the subjectivism. They come in to Christianity and Christians are trying to teach them what Christians believe and it suddenly becomes racist to tell them they're wrong about something. So what are they advocating for here? They are advocating for Christianity where no one can tell me I'm wrong. You know what we call that? Subjectivism. You know what this leads to? Your truth and my truth and that all truths are valid and they're all valid expressions of truth. and. If, if you even dare to say that, no, the Aryans are wrong, then that's whiteness. And if you even dare to say, no, the woke church is wrong, then that's whiteness. Because nobody's wrong, because we all have our experiences, and experiences trump truth, and etc., etc. This is pure subjectivity. And the Christian religion is an objective religion. It is not racist to tell someone they're wrong about Christianity. You might be wrong, they might be right, and you might actually be wrong. But the mere act of having the quote-unquote audacity to tell somebody, oh yeah, that belief is actually contrary to the Christian faith. That's not whiteness. That's not racist. That's not rude. That's not prejudice. That is what Christians have been doing for 2,000 years. And only if you deny that we live in an objective world and that Christianity is an objective religion would you take issue that someone actually believes the Christian faith can be somewhat defined and defended. Like, does the Christian faith have boundaries? Does it have theological opinions at all? Based on this podcast, I'm not saying that they are necessarily would disagree with that, but based on what we're hearing here, it's hard to say how they could consistently disagree with that. Uh, we don't really, no, it's not okay to like really be okay with homosexuality. Oh no, it's not okay to, you know, just uh, whatever other things that, you know, like, Oh, yeah. They got receipts. Like, yeah, they, they do. Got, they got receipts, yeah. Yeah, so that... Perfect. I love this. So, thank you. I think this gal's name is Alma. If it is, thank you, Alma. I'm so glad you used homosexuality as the example. So, 
She was speaking in the broad sense, and now she's getting specific. And so, what do we have here? We have theological liberalism. We have a liberal who thinks homosexuality is okay, and when a conservative Christian has the audacity to say, well, actually it's not. Whiteness, racist, enlightenment. Like, are you kidding me? Like, by the way, I don't, I don't know if you all remember it. I don't know if I can find it because they took it down. Do you remember, some of you may have saw, there was some museum, some woke museum that made a poster of how to like recognize whiteness. And some of the things on it was like being on time, <laughs> hard work, and like objective truth, right? It's like Western, you know, so it's like anybody who, who, who thinks that truth can be known is a racist now. Like, and I'm not saying that they would agree with that poster, but this is the road they're on. This is the road they're on, right? Like they have a belief, they have an experience. Someone come, comes along and says, oh no, actually that's not actually true. Uh, the, the evidence doesn't support that. The data doesn't support that. Racist, enlightenment, Western. So what? It's, it's insanity. So let's take this example that she's given, homosexuality. Propaganda, I appreciate what he said. He admitted we have receipts. And yes, we do. The Bible has a lot of receipts. The Bible is very, very clear that homosexuality is a sin. It's very clear. This is not even controversial. It's very clear. And propaganda knows that. And you know what? I think Alma knows that. But what are they trying to do? That's fine. We're just going to have a Christianity that thinks the Bible's wrong about that. What is that called, folks? That's called apostasy. You see, this is the game that the social, many in the social justice movement are playing. Now, not everyone in the social justice is the same, right? They're, it's more of a spectrum. So I'm not saying everyone in it are all apostates. But what many of them are doing is they are apostatizing from the Christian faith, but then they are claiming their newfound religion is a valid expression of Christianity, and the second you say, no, it's not, then you're accused of whiteness, of enlightenment, of Western, of arrogance, being a gatekeeper. These are people who are really not Christians anymore. But they're going to call it Christianity, and when you accuse them of apostatizing from Christianity, they're going to say, well, no, actually, I just apostatized from whiteness, from white Nash Christian nationalism. But what's the example she gives? It's not an ex issue of justice. It's not even an issue of race. The example she gives, the kind of Christianity that her and propaganda want, is the Christianity that says the Bible's wrong about human sexuality. Even though we've got receipts, even though the Bible is clear about this, we want a Christianity that the Bible's wrong. Folks, that's called apostasy. <laughs> that's, that's not Christian. And it's not racist to say that's not Christian. By the way, notice what propaganda says in an article I, I want to show to you. He doesn't just come out blatantly and say, uh, you know, oh yeah, um, I think homosexuality is okay now. But he comes pretty close. It's, it, it, it's hard to argue that he thinks it's not. So this is an article about a Christian hip-hop artist who comes out who came out as gay. This is June 30, 2021. It's son's birthday. So this is uh, recent. It's not old news. And this uh, homosexual rapper was, the article says in here, this is from Sojourners, you can look it up yourself, uh, was mentored by propaganda and he came out to propaganda. And I want to read what propaganda says about that. First, I'm not going to read the part. You can read it for yourself. But it talks about how propaganda was was very affirming. I mean, not affirming. That's maybe the uh, misrepresentation. But, uh, you know, prop when he came out to propaganda, propaganda was not like, hey, bro, this is wrong. This is sinful. You need to repent. Nothing like that happened. Okay? Um, but he did admit that propaganda was struggling to know how to respond to it. So to be fair. But notice this. This is what the article goes on to say. But the personal blessings of coming out outweighed the public backlash. While fans sneered that they would pray for him, he was healthier and happier than he was in the closet. Propaganda said that witnessing Givens coming out presented him with the dissonance, aka contradiction, of what he thought scripture taught 
Now notice this is past tense. So does he's changed or I don't know. Doesn't necessarily have to mean that, but let's continue. Of what he thought scripture taught and what he could see in his friend. And this is a quote from propaganda. Now it's not just a theological point. This is my friend, propaganda said. I have to reckon with what's in front of me. And what's in front of me is this man I know, I admire, I love, I've traveled with, I believe in, I've seen the spirit of God in him. As a legendary figure in Christian hip hop, propaganda was bound to be asked his opinion once Givens came out publicly, but he set hard lines on when to speak as he quote, never wanted the story to be what does prop think about Jay Givens. Propaganda hopes that Christian hip hop listeners will learn from Givens and begin treating the LGBTQ people in their lives better. Now he, this is telling, right? Ready? Now he's the happiest I've ever seen him. He's the healthiest I've ever seen him. Propaganda said, I adore him. While you never want to make a mascot out of anybody's life, I do hope people can, especially during Pride Month, at least just listen. Now, I understand he has not yet come out and publicly said homosexuality is valid, but he's clearly saying, I think it is. I know the scriptures say otherwise, but... I'm not seeing that. This guy seems healthy and happy. The scriptures call this abominable. The scriptures call this dangerous. The scriptures call this unnatural. But when I see it, he's healthy and he's happy. And I think we can learn from him, especially during Pride Month. Do you think the Apostle Paul would have handled this situation the same way? Do you think Justin Martyr would have handled this situation the same way? Do you think the Roman Catholic Church, the medieval Roman Catholic Church, would have handled this situation the same way? No. So who's the one actually influenced by the Enlightenment here? This is a break from the Christian scriptures. This is a break from 2,000 years of church history. So this is not about whiteness. This is not about Christian nationalism. This is not about gatekeeping. This is about propaganda leaving the tradition of 2,000 years. He's the one influenced by the Enlightenment. He's the one rejecting what the scriptures and the church has always taught about something as basic is human sexuality. Now let me ask you this question. Let's go back to the Mott and Bailey. When they promote liberalism, and we call them out, and then they call us racist, and then they just retreat to, well, I'm just about biblical justice. Does propaganda sound like he is interested in biblical justice? We don't even know that he thinks the Bible is right. Propaganda doesn't even seem to know whether the Bible is true. So if the Bible's not true, or if we don't know it's true, if the Bible could get something as basic as human sexuality wrong, why on earth would we trust it for something as important as establishing a just society? Propaganda cannot retreat into, well, I'm a Christian, but I'm just a different kind of Christian than you, and you're a white nationalist, and you don't care about justice, and I care about biblical justice, but why are you trusting the Bible to give you justice when you can't even trust the Bible to tell you what human sexuality is? So what do we know about propaganda? He is not interested in Christianity. He's not interested in Christian justice and biblical justice. He is interested in enlightenment thinking. He is interested in liberal, secular justice but he wants to call it Christian justice. He's interested in a justice divorced from the Christian scriptures. And that's not Christianity, and it's not racist to say that. And you start thinking like, oh, okay, like I'm starting to understand this. And it, started, it feels like the more that I understand it, the more that I am invited and loved into that world. The more you get the notions right. And then it's just like, Oh wait a minute! This is actually a straight up cult. Like this is what that is, you know. It at feels this point. Like. Yeah, it's the it's the. Yeah. It's, I've heard somebody say like, if your Christianity is essentially, it's the notion that, to the degree for which you have the notions correct. Yes. Right. Then you are in. And to the degree that you have the notions correct, then you are in. Right. So what is he saying? Yeah, your theology has to be orthodox in order to be in. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's right. And you heard it. They just affirmed, well, he kind of softened it. Well, it feels like a cult. She's saying it is a cult. He's saying it feels like a cult. They're saying it's a cult. Justin Martyr was a cult leader. Because what did we read from Justin Martyr? Who's, who are the only people allowed at the table of the Eucharist? Those who agree with what we teach. According to this standard, all of the apostles were cult leaders. 
Why? Because they weren't rabid subjectivists who just think any and all theology is a valid expression of Christianity. They are criticizing the, the, the American church for getting the notions right in order to be in. That's called religion. Yeah, th yeah that's called religion. You, you have to agree with what the religion teaches in order to be in. <laughs> it's, it's pretty basic. It's pretty simple. You see, what they want to do is they want to take unbelief and dress it up as Christianity. And then when we say, oh, I'm sorry, that I know you think that looks like Christianity, but it's not. And then they want to accuse us of being cult leaders. So again, what, what is being advocated here? Pure subjectivism. Christianity is anything we want it to be. My experience creates Christianity. So the Apostle Paul and Moses, they got homosexuality wrong. Why? Because, well, because my best friend is homosexual and I've seen the Spirit of God in him. These people want to reject Moses and they want to reject Paul, yet be called Christians. And we're saying, rightfully saying, no. You can't throw Moses under the bus. You can't throw Paul under the bus and call yourself a Christian. Yes, those are notions you have to get right to be in. And by the way, Justin Martyr agrees with me on that. Athanasius agrees with me on that. Augustine agrees with me on that. The Apostle Paul agrees with me on that. And those men aren't white. Those men are not white American Christian nationalist post-enlightenment thinkers. And they agree with me on that. That's empiricism. Yeah. That's, that is Western enlightenment. Yeah. That is not the faith. Yeah. That's Western enlightenment. So again, what do you have it? Western enlightenment. What's Western enlightenment? You have to believe the religious tenets in order to be in the religion. That's Western enlightenment. No, not according to Paul, not according to Moses, not according to Peter, not according to Justin Martyr, not according to Athanasius, not according to Augustine, not according to the Nicene Council or any of the ecumenical councils. And we could go on and on and on and on. Excommunicating people, anathematizing people have been happening for hundreds of years before the Enlightenment. He is honestly trying to convince us that subjectivism was the Christian religion until the Enlightenment. Folks, that is insane. You get the notions right. Yeah, and, yeah. I, and I think it's harder to see now because of how like insidious and like subtle it is yeah unless you're like hyper like super aware the irony but imagine being like the like the puritans coming to this land in yeah. the name of god yeah enslaving and like like causing genocide of a whole people that yeah. you know like robbing their like winter food so that they could not survive yeah all in the name of like but believing you're doing a service to you're them. doing a service I mean, like, that is, like, literally, like, the roots yeah. of how, of, like, gaslighting <laughs> of, like, in the church. Yeah, it's not only, it's crazy to me, like, Like, to racially, add, yeah. you know? I'd like to see some receipts. Uh, this is uh, an overgeneralization. Of course, first and foremost, many of the people who came to America were not Puritans. Um, and there was a, a whole mixed bag of people who came to America. Uh, people came to America and did some really, really evil things. Some people came to America and did not do those evil things. Like starting there and then like fast forwarding to now, like that's how it feels. It feels like you're telling me like I'm only lovable to the extent that like I can believe exactly how you believe in it. Yeah. You know? See, that's a straw man. It's not saying that you're only lovable. We, we still love people. But yeah, you can't be in the group if you disagree with the group. And especially, what is the group we're talking about here? We're talking about salvation, right? Like now, when you're talking about the Puritans, we're not just talking about Calvinism versus non-Calvinism. We're not just talking about Calvin. Like we're talking about going to a land that has never heard the name Jesus. So yes, they go to the land and they try to tell people what the Bible says, that you cannot be saved apart from Jesus Christ. Yeah, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You have to believe that to be in. Yeah, you have to believe the notions to be in. And she is trying to equate uh, raping and pillaging and murdering people with a Christian today telling her, yeah, you can't deny the Bible and be a Christian. She wants to convince us that the second we say Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him, we are suddenly engaging in the same kind of tactics as people who slave and rape and eat, and cannibalize and destroy other people. Jesus was the first exclusivist. It was Jesus who said, you need to get the notions right. You need to know who I am. You need to know who my father is. You need to believe in these. He is who is ashamed of my words. I will be ashamed of him. That's what Jesus says. Was Jesus a 
a raping, pillaging, colonizing Puritan? Not only do they think that, I was gonna say, not only do they think that they're doing this in service to God, they think they're doing this in service to, to the native, yeah. right? Yeah. That I'm like, I'm doing you a favor by yeah. doing this, you know what I'm saying? And is preaching the gospel to someone who doesn't know the gospel a service to them? The Christian answer for 2,000 years has always historically been yes. What's even, what's even more infuriating in those spaces is when you and I go, well, wait, there were these white people, like the Quakers, that were like saying y'all were tripping. They were the ones advocating for our lives. And you got the nerve to tell me their theology's bad. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So like at that point, you're... Okay. The Quakers were also post-enlightenment. And the Quakers were also part of the Reformation. So they should actually be under your umbrella of condemnation here. Now, he just jumped ship. Like originally we were talking about the Puritans and the natives. And then he jumped to slavery and the African chattel slavery. So we already have a, a, an illegal move that was just made. Category error was just made. But let's just go with it. His point is... The fact that so many reformed theologians got slavery wrong. Like, doesn't that prove that you're not the gatekeepers? Like, there were other white people who said you're wrong about slavery. Now, not every reformed theologian was wrong about slavery. Spurgeon is a very famous reformed theologian and was a very famous advocate against slavery. But yes, many of them did get slavery wrong. And many of them sinned in egregious areas. But we don't get... We, you, you can't jump from this community got something wrong to therefore no one's allowed to tell anyone they're wrong, right? right? Uh, many of the magisterial reformers would kill me. If I were to go back in time, Theodore Beza would put me to death. And you know what? I still think he got a lot of things right. No, we're not claiming that the reform tradition, the reform movement has always been right about absolutely everything. Yeah, they did get some things wrong. I'm not saying just because the reform tradition says something, it's automatically right. But with the game they are trying to play is, look, these people got something wrong. So what is all that proves is that they might be wrong on other things. It proves that they're fallible. But what it doesn't prove is that Christianity must therefore, because this group who claims to have the pure religion is wrong, therefore, anything and everything goes and that you're always being a white colonizer the second you tell any other person that's not Christianity. Again, we are making logical leaps here that are hard to fathom. Like, oh, okay, so it seemed to me like everybody that's advocating for my survival, you just told me, you know what I'm saying, or the survival of people that somehow are not y'all, right? I don't, like, I'm starting to notice a pattern here, guys. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. Uh, but the pattern, like I said, is like, this is what we mean, well, I'm gonna get into this later, but the, the, the pattern is this construction of whiteness, and, and it's so powerful and it's so strong that you even think that's your gospel, yeah. is that it's still this construction of whiteness, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay, so what do we have, again, in the final analysis? This is pure subjectivism. Anytime a white theologian thinks he's right about the Christian religion, this would include Eastern Orthodoxy, Roman Catholicism, Reformed, most of them, many, many American churches, that it's whiteness. They're racists. They uh, think they have a monopoly on all truth. And so there's really only two potential roads in terms of analysis that this could go down. One is what I've been advocating for, which is subjectivity. Your truth, my truth, it's all Christian. The obliteration of Christian orthodoxy. The obliteration of the Christian faith. Because my experiences subjectively create uh, Christianity. And if you tell me I'm wrong, you're racist. Or here's the other possibility. I don't know his heart. And so I'm going with this latter one because I think it's the more charitable assumption. But this is the only other possibility that's going on here. The only other possibility is that this is a power grab. It's manipulation. I am going to convince you that anytime you think you're right, that that in and of itself is an act of racism. So what are you going to do when you, are, when you buy into that? You're going to stop thinking you're right. So now we have a vacuum for truth, and he gets to fill it.
right? This is just a clever way to convince you to shut up, to know that if you ever disagree with him, you're racist, and to remind you that the, your lineage can be traced back to slaveholders. So what does that tell you? You know what? They believed in slavery, so they're obviously wrong about everything. They obviously don't have the pure religion. So abandon it and listen to me. So do you see the self-contradiction of this position, right? Like, they are criticizing the reformed world. Like, oh, those arrogant enlightenment thinkers who won't allow homosexuals to just be happy and healthy. But what, do, what are they doing in the process? They are laying objective lines down. They're saying, this is whiteness and it's not Christianity, right? They are criticizing us for the very thing they're doing. They are trying to tell us that what we believe is not true and it's not Christian, that we need to repent. And we need to believe in their version of Christianity. So my experiences, my reading of the text, it's all invalid, essentially because of my skin color. And I need to adopt their view. My experiences are not allowed to determine truth, but their experiences are. I'm not allowed to tell people that they're wrong about Christianity, that they're not in, that they're not actually Christians, but they are. It's a contradictory assessment, and they know it's contradictory, but they use it anyway because it's a power grab. Those are the only two options on the table, as far as I see it. They're either advocating for subjectivism or it's a power grab. But either way, it's immoral, it's ahistorical, and it's not Christian. This is what social justice does.